0: This is our third session on Micah 5.2 and its Old Testament context and its New Testament fulfillment. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So last time we focused on the parts of that and their meaning. And today we look at this, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. So, Father, I ask that you would grant us to understand this and that the beauty and glory of it would be self-authenticating in our hearts, that it would point to Jesus as the glorious fulfillment of it as Matthew said he was and that it would give us hope in these troubled times, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor and I am assuming it means that uh, this One who is coming forth is going to be born by this woman who is in labor. So one who is in labor to give birth to the one who will come forth to be the ruler. Until that happens, he says, therefore, he, God, shall give them up until the time. So what what does the therefore mean and what is this giving up? To understand it, I think we need the preceding verse. This is verse 1 of chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So, Israel is under siege, she's being struck on the cheek in shame, and this rescuer, this king who's coming, who's going to be a ruler and is going to give peace and security to Israel is evidently a ways off. This, this prophecy is, shall come forth, and I think the therefore is, well, since there is a, therefore, uh, since there is a time lapse between the siege and the smacking, and this rescue of and this king, therefore, he's going to give them up to that siege, that embattlement, that shaming, until the time when the birth happens. That's the way I understand that. So, in other words, until Christ. Until the Messiah comes, there's going to be no decisive long-term solution to Israel's embattled condition among the nations. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. What does that mean? Well, before I go there, just one word about why would it say she who is in labor? Why not just say um, until the time when the child is born? Why draw attention to a woman being in labor? And my guess is that the waiting period for the birth of the child in this woman's life corresponds to the waiting period of the besieged and embattled people until the the birth and the brothers are returning. Now then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So with the coming of the Messiah, this at least begins if it doesn't happen immediately. What does it refer to? What does it mean? The rest of the brothers shall return. Well, both in Micah and in the other prophets, large parts of Israel had been cut off and dispersed among the nations and even the people of Israel were sometimes called, I mean, even the people of Judah were sometimes called not my people. For example, here's Hosea one, nine and 10. The Lord said, call his name, not my people for you are not my people. He's saying that to his people. And I am not your God yet. (laughs) In spite of that judgment, "...the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered." And in the place where it was said to them, "You're not my people," right here, you're not my people. In the place where it was said to them, it will be said, "Children of the Living God." In other words, he he rejects them. He pronounces them not his people. In the very place where he's saying they're not my people, he's saying they will be my people. They will be children of the Living God. So he's taking back what he has rejected. Now here's the fascinating thing in the New Testament, like in 1 Peter ten, that text is quoted to refer to the ingathering of Gentiles into the people of God. Once you were not a people, this is the people in uh, 1 Peter, who you can tell by the context of 1 Peter are, are the nations, not just Jews. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the idea is this, if God says to his people, you're not my people, they are virtually in the position of Gentiles. And if God can reverse that and take back his people, he can include Gentiles in that people, which is exactly the way it happened in the New Testament. So when it says, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, I think by implication we can say God is going to redeem Jewish people and among those are going to be other not my people included and he shall stand that means victory if you're lying on the ground you're defeated if you're standing at the end of the battle you win and what he will he do with his victorious standing he will shepherd his flock implying security and implying peace. He will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and they shall dwell in security. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So he will use this victorious might of his to be a good shepherd, to give security and peace to the returning brothers and to those who've been chosen out of the nations to be a part of this great in gathering of the people of Israel. And he will do it in the strength of the Lord, which implies that he has a kind of dependence, and so it sounds very human, right? He depends on the Lord just like we do, and yet he does it in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. There is a majestic dimension to this shepherd rule. This is divine-like. So I'm not saying that the divinity of Christ, the God-man double nature of the one person of Jesus is necessarily taught here. I'm saying it is a pointer to it, at least. He is acting in dependence like a human on the strength of the Lord in his shepherding, and he is sharing in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, as though he participated in the divine. And it will be a global, to the ends of the earth, a global reign, a global glory. He will be great to the ends of the earth. There will be no limit to his kingdom, no outstanding pockets of rebellion when he is done ruling on the earth. So let's sum it up like this. What's the prophecy? The prophecy is the global majesty of the God-man. Now, I'm filling that in from the New Testament because this is clearly a prophecy of Jesus. Matthew quotes this. And we know from the New Testament how this dependent, majestic one turns out. He turns out to be the God-man. So the global majesty of the God-man bringing security. And peace, and you know peace, shalom is more than just the absence of conflict, it's the fullness of well-being, all of it for the glory of God, because when he says, From you shall come forth one for me, he means in independence upon me. In reflection of my majesty, he is going to be for my glory. This is an awesome picture of what's coming and how, ha- now, from our perspective, has come at Christmas time for our security and peace through Christ. One more step to take in the next session, namely to look at the very fulfillment in Matthew and some of the differences in wording from the way it's quoted here.